We're going to wrap this up today with our last message on belonging, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. May God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. You may be seated. Belonging. We'll be taking a more uh, specific uh, view of this, a closer look this morning at the incredible emphasis that the Bible places on unity among God's people. And we're going to do this primarily by taking a journey through this great passage that I've read to you today. As a reminder of where we've been, looking at a biblical view of Christianity, we've talked about how that uh, a Christian, first of all, is about becoming. No one is born a Christian. You have to become one. And we become a Christian by being born again. Jesus said, you must be born again. And unless a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of heaven. We're born again as we realize that we're a sinner. We call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because we believe in him. We trust in him. And therefore, we are S-A-V-E-D, saved. We're saved. We're born again. And that's how we become a Christian. Christianity is also about believing. And uh, Christians believe things. We believe the Bible. We understand the authority of Scripture. Uh, we may not uh, and make no claim to always uh, live it out. But we do understand what our authority is. We believe in the Word of God. We've considered then behaving, as Paul told uh, the young preacher Timothy, you need to know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Christians live in a different way uh, than others live. And so Christianity is about also our behavior. And the last one is about belonging. Uh, we are members of Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. We are in Him. We are part of His family. We are part of His body. And then as we think not only of being in Christ, we're also in the church. And that speaks not only of what we are in the heavenly places, but what we are in the Cabot kind of places as well. And that brings into play the local church. And within this church, then, we've seen the importance of the peace that is demonstrated over and over again in Scripture. And today in this great passage... In Ephesians chapter 3. Remember the overall context. In verse 2 of chapter 3. Paul had talked about the grace that was given to him. So that God revealed to him the great mystery of Christ. Something that had not been revealed in the Old Testament. Now, they knew that a new covenant or a new testament was coming. They knew that. Uh, but they did not know. They had no idea that the Jews and the Gentile. The Jewish people and everybody who wasn't Jewish. Would be brought into this kingdom arrangement. Under the kingship of Jesus Christ. And they would enjoy a state of equality. So that he says in verse 6. That the Gentiles would be fellow heirs of the same body. And partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. You see that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. It wasn't that Gentiles uh, could suddenly be saved. Uh, anybody could be saved under the Old Testament economy. 
but the Gentiles who were saved would never become Jewish. And so there was a whole part of that Jewish service and worship that was not available to them. If you went in the Old Testament temple, you would see immediately as you entered a place that was known as the court of the women. And beside that was another place known as the court of the Gentiles. If you were a woman, that was as far as you could go. If you were a Gentile, that was as far as you could go. And so though other people could be saved, they still enjoyed or experienced this distinction. A distinction, by the way, that had been created by God's own law. No wonder it was called the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. But Jesus Christ, you see, died to break all that down so that now we have this glorious truth that in Christ there is no more male nor female. There's no more Jew or Gentile. But we are one in Christ Jesus. That is to say we enjoy an equal position in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ Jesus. So there is that establishment of equality. But the living it out would prove challenging within the Christian community. Now, the book of Ephesians was written after Paul was almost killed in the temple in Jerusalem. He was arrested. He would spend five years in Caesarea in prison because there was a plot on his life in Jerusalem. He ended up appealing his case to Caesar in Rome. So he's been in prison for several years by the time the book of Ephesians was written. And the reason why that he was in prison was primarily because of his ministry to the Gentiles. The preaching of this great truth was uh, very, very controversial. Uh, the believers uh, who were Jewish had trouble accepting it and living it out. And the unbelievers who were Jews also had a great trouble living it out. And so though there was an established unity... That practical experience of it was difficult. And so we come then to this great text this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. Where Paul speaks of two distinct entities. Who will be observing the place where God puts this all on display. To two distinct groups. He speaks, first of all, of making all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. You see, God didn't just make us one in Christ Jesus and leave us to wait till we get to heaven to live it all out. No, he puts it on display. He puts it in operation then in a place, a visible place in this earth. And he doesn't leave us long to wonder about it because he speaks of then the principalities and powers and the heavenly places might be known by the church or in the church. could be either way. By the church or in the church, the manifold wisdom of God. The world might look at a concept of peace between the Jew and the Gentiles and say, man, that will never work. But God says it does work. This is the way it is. And I will show you how it works. Just watch. It's like God sitting up in heaven saying, now watch this. <laughs> watch this. See what I'm doing. I've created a place of peace between the Jew and the Gentiles. A place of unity. A place of harmony. And I want you all to see it 
to see that fellowship in the local church, the place where our faith in Christ then takes on visibility. First of all, through baptism, where we put our faith on display. Then through the Lord's Supper, where we put our fellowship on display. All of it very visible, very visible, the local church. Paul used this concept of men and of angels very regularly, a couple of notable places, 1 Corinthians 4 and 9, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death, for we've been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. And so Paul understood that the apostles of Jesus Christ then had been put on display and were in a sense a spectacle that all men would watch and the angels in heaven, the principalities and powers in the spiritual realm, they'd watch it too. It says the same thing basically in Romans 8 verse 38 brings those same concepts together. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come. Uh, so obviously those angels and principalities and powers, the spiritual entities in heavenly places, uh, may or may not be good. There is a spiritual realm that contains both those good angels and the bad ones. And make no mistake about it, they're all watching us as the people of God. And they're all watching us as a New Testament church. It's kind of sobering when you think about it. That all men and even the angels in heaven are carefully watching. And what are they seeing? What God wants them to see is the manifold wisdom of God. Multicolored, that means. Multicolored, wide spectrum wisdom of God. The Jew and the Gentile then were in that great divide. But Jesus Christ made a way for us to come together. This is what Jesus died for. It is the vital part of the Christian faith in that belonging brings to us. Why God wants us and why his plan is for us to be set in a local church. And it is so vital that Jesus would say, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you love, if you have love one to another. And we're told to love one another as Jesus said, as I have loved you. Wow. Now we can't speak much of the heavenly realm. I mean, there's some of it out there. We know that the angels are watching. I've told you that and are watching over us. They're also acutely aware of how God's churches are displaying the peace of God. And so I want to remind you this morning that the fellowship of any church is a fragile thing. Often unity and fellowship and peace, unfortunately, are the very last thing that men or angels see in a church. Sometime before Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, God inspired an, uh, a man by the name of James. He was the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, and he was the pastor of the local local church at Jerusalem and that was before Ephesians was written but James would write of this and he pulled no punches 
about the problems that were present in the church and how they were dealing with it and how he called them to deal with it. He asked in James chapter 4 and verse 1, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So James talks about their desires, their passions, what we want, something we want, but we don't get. Uh, somebody doesn't do maybe what we want them to do. Somebody doesn't get their way. And it erupts then as a fight and a quarrel. In church? Come on, Pastor James, in church? You don't mean it. Surely not. Sorry for the sarcasm. I couldn't, <laughs> I just couldn't resist. Oh, but James goes immediately to that great principle that Jesus Christ gave us. Uh, and that is that we could bring our desires, our petitions to him. Whatsoever he said, you ask in my name. Whatsoever you ask in my name, Jesus said, you'll have it. And so James brings that up. If you're, something is going on, you're not getting what you want, then why haven't you asked Jesus about it? That's number one. And if you have asked Jesus about it and he didn't give it to you, th there's a reason. You've asked amiss. This is something, obviously, that you want that Jesus Christ doesn't want for you. And so, he says, you end up murdering one another. Now, I really don't think that James is talking about uh, that the Christians were killing each other in church. I really don't think that happened, although it has happened. It has happened. Not in this church, but <laughs> thank God. It, it, but it has happened. First uh, John chapter 3 and verse 15, John said that whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And I think that's the context or the concept that James is presenting in this passage. That we begin to quarrel and argue and fight and even go to war among each other. And you end up murdering each other. That is, you end up hating your brother and most Christians at that point respond with a quick denial. I don't hate anybody. I'm a Christian. Now, there are people I don't speak to. There are people I don't want to be in the same room with. There's people that I don't talk to at all. But if I did talk to them, I'm going to talk to them real hatefully and with uh, all kinds of bitterness and anger. If they tried to shake hands with me, I'd turn away from them. But I don't hate them. And don't you tell them, I, tell them me I do. Because I don't, I'm a Christian. I don't hate people. Remember, folks, the world is watching. Your kids are watching. The angels are watching, too. This fellowship is a big deal in the church. It's all over the New Testament. That whole concept of belonging, the whole reason why that God called us to join a church where we belong. And it's not just about being a member. Oh, yeah, I belong here. But this is a place where I belong. And I have a sense in of fellowship and unity. I, I, I belong here. This is, this is my place. 
And that unity and that fellowship that we enjoy together is a really, really big deal. And so James, Pastor James, goes on in verse 6 and says, But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now we know what's going on in hearts that causes war and fightings and it's pride. Therefore, he says, submit to God. The answer to it, submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. What's James talking about? He says, your heart's not right. Your heart's not right. You think that somebody else is wrong, James says, but it's your own heart. It's your own heart that's messed up. And therefore, you need to be on your knees before God, lamenting and mourning and weeping. You see, when wars and fights and quarrels break out among God's people, it's proof positive that our hearts aren't right. And we need to spend some time on their knees. I've always loved what the great preacher Adrian Rogers said. I know I quote him a lot, but I've loved him and I've listened to him most of my life. And he being dead, yet speaketh. I tell you, he's, he's been dead a long time now, but he's still on the radio every day. But Adrian Rogers said, whenever two Christians agree, disagree on something, at least one of them is wrong. But most of the time, he said, both of them are wrong. So why would James address this with such zeal? Because it's so important and so vital. If we let our fellowship go away, then it's not long before we start looking like anything but Christians and behaving uh, toward one another in a way that is not very Christian-like. And that makes the gospel look ineffective to a watching world. I'll never forget a conversation I had a number of years ago in another town. I went by to see somebody who had dropped out of church. It took me a while to get around to where I could visit with her. And she very pointedly said, I was just tired of all the drama. Maybe she's gone back now, but she did not return as long as I was pastor there. I was tired of the drama. Now, James wasn't the only one who addressed this subject directly. Pastor Paul did the same thing with the church he started at Philippi. And you remember Pastor Paul, Paul the Apostle, started the church at Philippi. And he wrote a letter back to them. That's the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2, he said, I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, that's the pastor of the church, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, we don't, we don't really know who Euodia and Syntyche were other than what we have here. But what we do know is this. They were two people who loved Jesus and who worked very hard in the church. These were faithful women who had worked hard for Paul, worked hard together for other people, but something had happened and they weren't getting along. And so they ended up with their names in the inspired word of God written down for all time (laughs) that they need to get their act together. 
They need to get together. Be of one mind in the Lord. And pastor, yeah, you help them. You help them. These are, he reminded them, these are good, godly women. They're serving Jesus and have served me. And they need to get right with God and with each other. Philippians 4. There's far too many passages for me to consider about this issue this morning. It's found in almost every single letter, the epistles and the New Testament. But there's just one I have to mention. Um, Galatians 5.13. And yeah, I've I've got a whole sermon on this one. I call it uh, Cannibal Christians. Here it is, verse 13. I really wanted to call it Hannibal Christians, but I didn't. I called it Cannibal Christians. Uh, Some of you won't get that. You'll have to look it up. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. See, when we say something harsh and cruel about a brother or sister in Christ, we take a bite out of their reputation. If they retaliate, they take a bite out of ours. And if we aren't careful, by the time we're done biting on each other, there won't be any left, anything left. Our reputation and testimony will be in tatters. Don't do that to each other, Paul says. Instead, through love, Serve one another. God is at work to put his wisdom on display to all men and to a watching world and even to the angels of heaven by the church. And when we get this right, there's nothing more powerful in all the world than a New Testament church full of love, walking in the Spirit, being mightily used of God as a vehicle then for the gospel to reach people and make disciples. There is nothing more powerful in this world, in this world than a Spirit-filled New Testament church of the living God working together and serving together and loving one another and loving Jesus and loving lost people. It is a powerful force. For the kingdom. And the devil hates it. He hates it. So that the more of that we get right. The more of a target we become. The devil hates it. He works tirelessly to turn us against one another. Because if we aren't fighting him. Or if we're fighting each other. We aren't fighting him. One of the great principles of the New Testament talks about taking the shield of faith. Paul had that in Ephesians also. Wherewith you'll be able to quench the fiery darts, the flaming arrows of the wicked one. Anybody else here like those Western movies? I still like them. I still like them. I especially like them when I find one that's still in black and white. It just looks really great then. Old Westerns. And, you know, one of the characteristics of the old Western, whenever a fight broke out, you know, somebody would always be shooting flaming arrows, burning arrows. You know, flaming arrows are not designed to kill the enemy. What do flaming arrows do? They start fires. Why do they shoot flaming arrows then? (laughs) Because if there's a fire going back here, somebody is going to have to get off the front line and go back here and fight the fire. 
It's a very strategic thing, this shooting fiery darts. Paul tells us there is something then that quenches the fiery darts of the enemy. That tells us, though, that the enemy is really good at that. He loves to start fires. He doesn't care where. He'll start fires in your home. He'll start fires in this church. He'll start fires of controversy anywhere and everywhere he can. Remember, he is the ultimate disturber of the peace because Jesus Christ died to give us peace. He doesn't care who he uses. He'll use me. He'll use you. And it's all because if we're fighting each other, we're not fighting him. And that unity and fellowship that Jesus Christ died to establish and he puts on display in his churches is lost. It's important for us to remember then, last of all, that our fellowship takes place in a very specific sphere. Philippians 1.5 talks about our fellowship in the gospel. We don't seek fellowship outside that fear, sphere. That's Ephesians 5 and 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Galatians chapter 1, Paul talked about the importance of the gospel and how that if, any other, if anybody preaches any other gospel than that which you have received, we cannot have fellowship with that. Our fellowship must be in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why there are different kinds of churches. You might think, well, if the unity is so important, then why don't we just all get together? Uh, we can't because not everybody agrees on the gospel. You'd think they would, but we don't. And where there are differences on the gospel, obviously we don't have fellowship within that context. That's the unfruitful works of darkness. But where we are in fellowship in the gospel, and especially where we are in fellowship in our local church, we have a responsibility. And a responsibility before God to keep that unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I'm going to read a few passages. It's just a few passages before that passage that came up in James chapter 4. It's James chapter 3 and verse 16. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Confusion and all kinds of evil. Every evil thing exists wherever envy and self-seeking exist. But there is a wisdom that is from above, and it is first pure, then peaceable. Peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. This is the wisdom from above, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So the fruit of the Spirit is sown in peace by those who make peace. It's James 3, 16, 17, and 18. Remember our Lord Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. They shall be called. The children of God. I've got a sermon I've preached for years. Hadn't preached it lately. It's called, based on that passage, 
It's not titled it, The Call to the Claimed. The Call to the Claimed. You see, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. That is, it's talking about what other people say of us. Well, there's a child of God right there. How do you know? He's making peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Not that they'll claim to be God's children. You say, you ask me sometime, or asking anybody about a mechanic shop somewhere in town, mechanics, is that guy a good mechanic? Well, he claims to be. <laughs> uh, that's not a good response. I'm not going to give him five stars, I'll tell you right now. It's one thing to make a claim, it's another thing to be called. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. God. Have we seen lately that there's a lot of turmoil around in our country? Have you seen that? Have you seen that a little bit? If you watch the news, if you hadn't seen any lately, just pull up Fox News and they'll tell you all about it. If you get tired of that, go watch MSNBC and see for a while, they'll tell you more. Our world is full of turmoil. It's full of it. Oh, how we need a people who make peace. How the peacemakers stand out all around us. Blessed are the peacemakers. Chances are there is somebody in your life that you need to make peace with. And you might not have to go outside of your own house. Because I promise you the place where the devil likes to stir up trouble more than any other place is in our homes. And you'd think with two Christian people living together in a home that there could be a place of peace. Oh, but he'll stir up a firestorm there if you let him. And sometimes that making peace ends up right in our own little circle. And maybe something has gone out and said, we're blaming another person, but what's wrong, according to James, Pastor James is, it's in my own heart. And so right there, we're just in our, in our home. We might need to be making some peace. Don't let the devil have his way. He'll pull you apart, tear you apart. If you'll let him, don't let him do it. What do we have to do? We have to submit to God. We have to seek him. We have to humble ourselves. Yeah, seek the good of someone else. It's not easy. If it was easy, we'd have already done it. And then it goes to the, to the church. Maybe somebody in the church that we need to make peace with. It happens. Jesus told us it's impossible except that offenses shall come. It just happens. In spite of our very best intentions. It happens. Blessed are the peacemakers. Make peace. Make peace. Might be at work. Might be at school. All kinds of places where we need to make peace. It doesn't take anything to continue a fight. I mean, we just, the flesh is really good at that, but it takes a lot to make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. 
I heard one time a preacher say, I've never forgotten, he said, what we are at home is what we are. If our faith doesn't work at home, it don't work. But you'd think that these would be two places, of all places in our world, where our faith is working, where it works in our homes and it works in our church. And if it does, folk, I'm going to tell you, it'll be because we work at it. We endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's stand together, please.